This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Sex and sexuality is one of the most beautiful, powerful, intimate aspects of all of God's creation. By God's design, sexual expression in the context of a marriage is one of the most beautiful and powerful and intimate aspects of all of God's brilliant creation. Sex is intended to bind a husband and wife together and to bring them into the one flesh relationship, to strengthen the relationship, to express love to one another, to serve one another, to enjoy and have fun, to build romance and to build a family. But when this creative, wonderful, romantic aspect of God's creation is expressed outside of marriage in the wrong way, it can be devastatingly and eternally destructive. When this powerful, beautiful, wildly creative thing of sex and sexuality is expressed outside of the God-ordained institution of marriage of one biological male with one biological female, when it, when it takes place outside of that, it can become devastatingly destructive and eternally destructive. Sexual immorality that the Bible would describe as fornication would entail any sexual activity outside of a biological male and female as a husband and wife in a covenant marriage enjoying each other together. Let me just say that again. Sexual immorality would entail any sexual activity outside of a husband and wife inside a covenant marriage enjoying each other. The Bible is full of examples of sexual immorality. We see pornography, I would include modern day sexting in Matthew 5.28, homosexuality and lesbianism, Romans 1.26-27, premarital sex, Hebrews 13.4, adultery, Leviticus 18 and 20, polygamy, we see Genesis 2, 1 through 8, and 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 12, prostitution, Deuteronomy 23.18, rape, Deuteronomy 22.25, incest, Leviticus 18 and 20 and 27, bestiality, Exodus 22.19, Leviticus 20, 15 through 16, voyeurism, 2 Samuel 11, 2 through 4. It's crazy uh, how confused the church seems to be when God has spoken so clearly. And, and it's unfortunate that the world seems to 
want to kind of own the corner on sexuality when it, it belongs to God. God designed it. He created it. He came up with it. And, and God has given a really clear word about the beauty and the wonder of sexual expression inside of marriage. And he's given a really, really clear word of all the devastating expressions of sexuality outside of marriage. One, one of my favorite things to do on a cold night is to gather around a fire. You know what I'm talking about? Um, this is a picture of just a just gathering around a fire. And I, I love just hanging out with friends and having just a, little, just a little fire, a little bonfire. But you have probably seen some of these tragic expressions of a fire, something that can be delightful, being in the wrong place. Here's some images of a fire that goes from being delightful to destructive. We've got lots of former California friends that are in our church that moved to the promised land, right? <laughs> and they heard about forest fires a lot more than we did. All the time, devastating, taking whole towns and communities out. When, when a fire gets out of the right place, it can absolutely be devastating. But when it's put in the right place, it's delightful. Sex is the same way. And God's been really clear about where it's delightful and where it's devastating. So I'm just, I'm titling the sermon this morning just simply, Delightful or Destructive? Delightful or destructive. Let me illustrate with this quick survey. Let's, let's pull this up real quick. I just want you to see this. Most of us are dialed into this reality. Um, we've got a, just a survey that's going to come up on the screen here in just a second. I have faith. It's pink in color. <laughs> and sometimes technology locks up. Thumbs down, thumbs up. What you got back there? Thumbs down. All right. We came with our agenda, but the Lord had another plan. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14, we see a clear word from the Lord about sexuality and sexual immorality. So I want you to see this as we read it together, and then we'll unpack it. And it'll just be brief this morning, but I want you to see this. Picking up in verse 3 of chapter 5. But sexual immorality... In all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of Light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part 
in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Well, real quickly, we see two reasons in the first part of this text that we should avoid sexual immorality. We see two reasons why we should avoid sexual immorality. And the first reason we find in verse 3 is that our identity demands it. Our identity demands it. Now, when I say our identity, I'm speaking about those that are followers of Jesus, those that have turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The Bible calls that being born again. It's, it's those that have had their heart regenerated by the Holy Spirit. They would, they would call themselves Christians. If you're not yet a Christian, we're so glad you are here. We're believing that God will speak to your heart and ignite something new and fresh and wonderful in your life. And what happens is, is when we sink our roots into God's love, there's a different fruit in our life. And it grows slowly over time. And the fruit of our living begins to, to change. And so when we become a Christian, we get a brand new identity. We're no longer who we were. We have a brand new identity. We're not an enemy of God. We're a child of God. We're not alienated from God. We're a saint of God. We have a brand new identity. You don't have to, you know, like your identity is not what's on the door of your office, director of fill in the blank. <laughs> no, your royalty. Child of the king. That's our identity. Daughter of the king. Look at verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So like the whole message of the majority of New Testament letters is be who you are. Be who you are. In other words, when you came to Christ, God totally changed who you are. The scripture, the scripture says, behold, if any man is in Christ, that's, if he's a Christian, if his faith is in Jesus, if he's turned to follow Jesus, behold, if any man is in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. He's a new creation. This is true of every follower of Jesus. You may think, well, I don't feel like a new creation. You know, I didn't live like a new creation. Let's anchor ourselves into the reality of what God says is true about us this morning. We're a saint. I don't feel very saintly. Well, don't anchor your reality into how you feel. Anchor your reality into what God has said. And if you're in Christ, you're a saint. And all Paul is saying is, it's not proper for saints. It's not who you are. It's not who you are. So when you engage in sexual sin, how should this conversation with God go? You're engaging in sexual sin and the Holy Spirit says, hey, that's not who you are. And you stop engaging in sexual sin and you say, okay, I'm going to be who I am. Do you see that? You're just living out this false reality. This is not who I am. I'm now a saint. I'm now a child of God. I'm a holy one. That's what saint means. I'm a holy one. And the Holy Spirit often will remind us that's not who you are. And when the Holy Spirit reminds us that's not who you are, you stop. The Bible says it's called repenting. You repent and you begin to live who you are. Be who you are. That's, that's the whole message of most New Testament letters. And so the first part of Ephesians, if you're just jumping in with us this morning, the whole first part of Ephesians talks about how we're loved by God, how he lavished his love upon us, how he's adopted us as his children. So it's anchoring us into the gospel and into our new identity. And the first reason that we should avoid sexual immorality is because that's not who we are. We're saints. 
God's called us out of darkness and he set us aside for a royal purpose, to reflect his glory, to reflect his beauty to the world around us. So our identity demands us, but next, sexual immorality has eternal consequences. This is so sobering, you guys. Look at verses 4 through 6 with me. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetousness, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. In other words, if your life is chiefly characterized by sexual immorality, Paul says you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. In other words, that's not your future home. It's not your future home. But I, but I, but I prayed that prayer and I walked that aisle and I had that experience. If your heart is anchored into the gospel and if you have a root of faith in Jesus, it produces a fruit. And that fruit is not sexual immorality. It doesn't mean that you'll never sin in that way. It's not perfection, it's the direction of our life. So we will all stumble and fall, but for all of us, our lives are chiefly characterized by something. And it's either joyful obedience in repentance, or it's willful rebellion in sexual immorality in this case. So what is your life chiefly characterized by? And why should we avoid sexual immorality? Because if we call ourselves a Christian and we give ourselves to sexual immorality and it chiefly characterizes our life, then we're only a Christian in name and not in actuality. We're only giving lip service to something that's not real in our life. That's what Paul's saying. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. This isn't the only place we see this in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, Paul writes, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. What do you mean, Paul, by unrighteous? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's terrifying. Unless... You've hidden yourself in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Unless you've turned to him and you've trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins. Because here's the way the rest of the verse reads. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. In other words, your life used to be chiefly characterized by homosexuality or sexual impurity or being a gossip or being a drunkard. But then Jesus stepped in. And Jesus, listen, Jesus makes it impossible for the Christian to happily abide in sin. The Spirit of God living in us 
makes it impossible for us to happily remain chiefly characterized by immorality. So if you're here today going, I'm really happy in my sin and I'm unaffected by it. Unless you repent and turn to Jesus, you'll have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. But if you turn to Jesus today, everything that belongs to him will be yours. We will rule and reign with him in glory. Why would you not turn to Jesus and forsake that devastating life? Again, it's not, it's not that we begin to live a perfect life, but the direction of our life changes. It changes dramatically when the Son of God steps in. It changes dramatically when the Spirit of God takes up residence in our heart. We, we, we can't happily go on life as usual. God won't let us. Life will be miserable until we turn. But this is a warning. It's a warning in Scripture intended to protect us from being presumptuous before God. It's a warning to protect us from a destructive lifestyle and a destructive eternity. I love that. But you were washed. <laughs> you were washed. Um... My heart hurts when I meet with people where the devil is just having a field day of shame in their lives. They turned to Jesus years ago, but they're still wallowing in the shame of former sins. You know, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you, you feel dirty because of sins 20 years ago, and the Lord says, I've cleansed you. I've cleansed you. Renew your mind to the truth that you're no longer dirty, you're clean. You are clean because of me. I've washed you, and when I wash you, though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That's what the scripture says. But you were washed. It's, it's, equally, it's equally important, listen, it's equally important that if, if, if sexual sin of any kind Sex outside of marriage, premarital sex, pornography, what, whatever it may be. If it has a foothold in your life, it's equally important that you turn to Jesus and repent of that. As it is, if you've turned to Jesus and repented of that, of that you receive the declaration over your life. There is therefore now no condemnation. None. You're free. You're free from shame. You're free from guilt. He washed you. He set you aside for his father. He adopted you into his family. Don't let the devil's voice get in your ear. It's a lie. You're a saint. You've been washed. You've been clean. Well, these are two reasons why we should avoid sexual immorality. But we also see in the text this morning two reasons why we should expose sexual immorality. Look at verse 12 with me. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in, in secret. Look at verse 11 rather. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead ex expose them. So, so Paul's saying, he, he's not just saying don't take part in it. 
He's saying, shine light on it. Expose it. You know a friend that's stuck in sexual sin? Go to them and speak to them. You know a friend who is addicted to pornography? You go and shine the light of Christ and say, you don't have to live that destructive pathway. God wants you to flourish, and that's no way of flourishing. You expose, we expose it. Verse 12 says, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visual. So the first reason we should expose sexual immorality, we, say, we see it's shameful to even speak of it. Second, listen, we, we have grown so calloused, so accepting of sexual immorality in our culture, but in our mind and heart. We've just welcomed it in, into our heart. We've accepted it as part of life. And the Bible says it's shameful to even speak of it. That's why we should expose it. We shouldn't welcome it. We shouldn't accept it. We should expose it. The, the, the second reason that we should expose sexual immorality is that it loses its power in the light. Look at verse 13 with me. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. In other words, it's no longer a hidden secret where only the devil is having a field day with the person. It becomes visible. It, in other words, it's no longer hidden. Now others know about it. That's why James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and be healed. I, the, implica the implication is that God is so loving and he so desires our life to flourish. But he knows that a, a flourishing, the, the book of, this, this is what the book of James says, is that sometimes, not all the time, maybe not even most of the time, but sometimes there'll be, there'll be a sickness that we're carrying because we haven't confessed sin. So in, in the book of James, he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It loses its power in the light. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's a spiritual battle, an intense spiritual battle. When someone is stuck in sexual sin, there is a fierce spiritual battle. The devil is waging war for his soul. And when we bring it into the light, when we expose it, the light of Jesus Christ shines. And the devil runs. Galatians 6.1 tells us how to do this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. In other words... If your friend or loved one is caught in sexual sin, don't be harsh and angry. Be broken and gentle. Try, try, try to embody the heart that we see in the scripture of the prodigal son and the father. The prodigal son went and lived a reckless life and found himself in the pig pen. But he knew the father would be there. And as he turned and came back to the father, the father rushed with joy and threw a party that he was coming back. Be, convey that kind of gentleness and that kind of love. Um, when, when, I, when, I was a, when I was a young kid, I was exposed to pornography. And this was before cell phones. 
And um, it, it began to awaken something in me that was so premature for me. And as a, as a child and then as a teenager, it, it got a foothold in my heart and in my life. And I remember, I remember going to college. And, and in college, now I'm in a dorm room and now I'm with the internet. And the television had these blurred out channels. And every chance I got, I would I'd try to watch one of these blurred out channels. It's shameful to even speak of these things. Um, and one night we were gathered at our college ministry, and we were worshiping, and the Spirit of God fell in such a powerful way. I, I just want you to know, my soul was miserable when this sin had a foothold in my heart. I was just miserable. Like this intense battle was happening. And, and it was about 40 of us gathered at our college ministry and the spirit of God fell in such a powerful, fresh way. And um, I knew that I needed to expose my own sin. <laughs> Paul says, have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but expose them. And we often think about exposing other people's sin. But that night I needed to expose my own sin. And the Spirit of God was convicting me in a fresh, powerful way. And he gave me the grace to confess my sin of looking at pornography to like 40 college students. And can I tell you what a rush of power came over my life? Because what was hidden in the dark came into the light. And the light of Jesus Christ shined on me. Some of you are so desperate to be free from sexual sin, but you won't be free until you bring it into the light. You won't be free until you bring it in. You won't be free until you expose it. It's such a destructive sin. The Bible, the Bible says that every other sin is, it says that the sexual sin is a sin against our own body. So we like to describe sins as they're all equal. And in one sense, every sin is equal. But sexual sin is different in that it's a sin against our own body. It's so destructive. And the living God loves you and me. And by his, the power of his spirit, he wants to set us free from sexual sin. And wherever you are on the journey, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Dear friends, if, if sexual sin has a foothold in your life, how many times has the devil whispered in your ear, you'll never get away from it? You'll never get away from it. Today is the day of salvation. Turn to Jesus. Let him wash you clean this morning. Bring it into the light. Find freedom. I just want to ask our community group hosts and facilitators just to stand to your feet and some to, to gather here in the front and some to gather in the back and just to make yourself available uh, for us as a church family. You guys just come on up. Some of you go in the back. Some of you just gather up here in the back. In just a few minutes, we're going to come and take the Lord's Supper. And those that are serving the Lord's Supper, I invite you to go ahead and make your way to the station. But um, I just want to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Our mantra here is keep it real. Friends, you, 
You don't have anything to hide. The enemy wants to keep things in the dark. God wants to bring them in the light where they lose their power. And you gain the power of Christ in the light. We're going to come to the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. And this is a meal for Christians, for those that are followers of Jesus. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this this meal is an invitation to you just to remain seated and consider that God wants to be gracious to you. He wants to forgive you. He'll give that to you through his son, Jesus, when you trust in Jesus. So you just consider that invitation while we come. We're going to take the bread and tear the bread and dip it in the cup and the torn bread is a picture of Jesus' crucified body. And when we dip it in the cup, it's a picture of Jesus' blood that he shed for us. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we don't come to Holy Communion to be forgiven. We come to be reminded that we're forgiven, we're clean. Jesus bore our shame on the cross. Whatever Whatever our past is, we have a new identity in Christ. And so I want to invite you in just a moment to come, to come up the side aisles, to go down the, the to go to the back, down the side aisles, and to come back through the middle. Um, but let's pray together. Let, if, if you've got a child that's a wayward child, go and pray with a community group leader. If, if there's a battle going on in your life, go and pray with a community group leader. If you've got a, a, a dear friend that, that that you just want to pray for, go and pray for a community group leader. God is calling us, church, to be a particular, peculiar, pure people. And through the power of the Spirit, we can increasingly become a beautiful sight in the eyes of God. Amen. Oh, Father, we need you. Oh, God, we need you. We thank you that Jesus bore our sin on the cross. We thank you that he He bled and died for us as our substitute. We thank you that he rose victoriously from the grave so that we can be assured that we are a son, a daughter of the Most High King. Lord, we feel the weightiness of this, but we pray that we would feel your lift. Lord, we feel the weightiness of this, but we we remember, Lord Jesus, you said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, for I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, Lord, we we throw off the heaviness of this burden into your hands. And by faith, we walk lightly. We walk lightly. In Jesus' name. Church, as you're ready, you come. Celebrate the great grace of God. Let's pray. Let's come. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real, keep it Jesus.